Welcome to MGO Radio 9.7. They discovered us. Seth. They found us, Seth. man. <laughs> They're on to us. Seth, they weren't supposed to find out about the vast network, Seth. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did what did you do, Seth? I'm I'm sorry. Well, we built an we built an app and then we were inviting anyone to use it to like, you know, record their Yukon games. And then we got all this scouting on Yukon. Hell yeah. So we had to do something with it. Yeah. I mean, whoa. <laughs> it's out there. Before we start talking about this, we want to thank our sponsors. First, we'd like to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. Stop by and pick up some gear, then check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the MGOBlogStore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demers, Realtor and Lender, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, Winewood Organic, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Signal Wire, we are currently recording this, and introducing Autograph Rewarding Fans. They've just launched an app where you can earn rewards for things like reading MGO blog and listening to our podcast as if that's not reward enough already. Mm. All right. So yesterday, news breaks that there is an NCAA investigation concerning Michigan possibly stealing signals, mm. which is not illegal under NCAA laws, but in the 90s, they passed legislation prohibiting teams from scouting other teams in person during the same season. Right, because it's expensive. And, right, and this is relevant <laughs> in 2023. <clears throat> right. And various other things have come out. And interestingly enough, I think the one that is probably the closest to the truth is some rando on our message board. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry, Sopwith, <laughs> <laughs> who posted seemingly connected to the situation in some way that the low-level staffer, Connor Stallions, who was uh, uh, named by Pete Thamel, uh, had been recruiting other people outside the program without an affiliation to Michigan to watch games and get tape on signals, which, if so, his career is done and then it's it's about <clears throat> whether anybody knew about this or could know about it and passed it up the chain uh which seems doubtful yeah uh harbaugh has issued a strong denial and uh this guy had been on campus for a year i think he was hired in may of last year so <clears throat> not a a long ongoing thing People uh, like some of the articles have cited that this goes back to it, quote, at least 2021. It seems clear that this is Ohio State related. Well, because yeah. <laughs> Bill Bill Green, who is like a disgraced Ohio Ohio State insider who works for that site that was got blackballed by OSU for like paying a walk on to give them insider information. He was posting about this like a month ago. He was mm-hmm. just like, oh, there's something, something coming up for Michigan that's weird. And then. No, it wasn't before, weird. He said it was going to be big. Right, yeah. And yeah. then before <clears throat> the news broke yesterday, there were more rumors from the Ohio State side of things. So <clears throat> that feels like the likely source. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Although if they hired this guy. Just last year, he could not have won Michigan the game in 2021. Not to mention, well, do you remember the game in 2021? Right, yeah. <laughs> so I, I posted about this. That like the 2021 Michigan-Michigan State game, Michigan-Ohio State. State game, yeah. is probably the least hackable game in history. <laughs> that game was Michigan through four times. Like Michigan could have told Ohio State basically did tell Ohio State what whether it was a run or a pass, and it didn't matter. Right. And then on the other side of the ball, it was just Aiden Hutchinson ratchet, racking up a plus 39 in UFR. Well, like, Aiden Hutchinson actually gave the sign, right? He, like, takes his hand. He, like, you know, says, come here. Like, that was that was him telling Ohio State their own sign. Right. And then a Ross Dellinger article comes out. It has the smoking gun, which is pictures of Stallion on the sideline at Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait, the guy who was employed and, at Michigan was at Michigan. 
and the fact that he was looking at a piece of paper that was a big piece of paper. It Ooh. wasn't like a regular piece of paper. It was larger. Um, it so was like 11 by faux film sized, like 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 the, the the diagrams that I make, like that. Possibly. That, that's some insider information right there. In that article, like there's an Ohio State staffer who's like, yeah, we changed all of our signals before the 2022 game. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> like, that seems like a good idea. And then you still got your ass beat by 22. So what are we talking about here? Also in that article, there's like most Michigan teams playing Michigan have gone with wristbands. And I'm like, one, why don't you just do that all the time? And two, hasn't helped. Yeah. Right. If this is an open secret and people are changing up their signals before games or whatever, it's like. Yeah. I, the most ridiculous people here are the ones saying that this is giving Michigan a massive competitive advantage because they. Yeah. I, have you watched Michigan at all? Like, if right. they know what you're going to run, they're going to run cover three. If they don't know what you're going to run, they're going to run cover three. If you trick them into thinking you're going to run something that they're not, they're going to run cover three. Yeah, and, and one thing that is striking is like I, I I charted games where I thought Michigan had had their signals compromised, mm-hmm. and these were usually against Northwestern. Right. And what would happen is on every run play, the Northwestern linebackers, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, you remember the the linebackers were just blit were were coming downhill right away. Yeah, and then when Michigan ran play action, they were ten yards back, and I right. was just like, "What is going on here?" So. And like I didn't make a big deal out of it. Like, like I just thought no, it's like, Michigan oh, we got our signs stolen. Yeah, like, right. And like <laughs> Michigan needs to do something about this, not anything else. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's a there's a great article you referenced. Um, there's that uh, uh who who's it by? I forget who was it by the the Oregon guy, but he was he found that like eighty to ninety percent of teams are stealing signs. That it's a very widespread thing in college football that a lot of coaches yeah. don't change their signs just because it's hard for the players to, you know, there's already too much on their plate. So it's like, let's change the signs again. It's just what happens if they screw it up, right? You're, you're creating more problems than you're solving because this is not that actually that big of a deal. Like you can get one or two plays a game out of it. If you really have cracked your signs. Yeah. And, the, the quotes that are being thrown around are clearly from people with an axe to grind, right? Like, yeah, there's one that's like, oh, this is worse than the Patriots and the Astros. <laughs> like, one Big Ten source said, who's, who's, please tell us this. Can we FOIA that source? Can we figure out who that? Well, he, I, the question no. is, if you're Pete Thamel, why are you giving that guy anonymity? Like, I just from a journalistic perspective, you use anonymity to get information that you would not normally get. This is just somebody whining. Yeah, basically. And there's there's other stuff, too, in the Dellinger article where it's clear that people are just mad that Michigan is beating their ass. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, this is an investigation that apparently exists and has been reported on. Michigan has not been presented with any sort of notice of allegations yet. Mm-hmm. Once they get a notice of allegation, they have 90 days to respond to it. They should use all 90 of those days. Mm-hmm. This is not going to impact the season in any way whatsoever. So whatever happens, happens. But, you know, the number one rule of college football is nothing ever happens to anybody anymore. And that's not going to change here. Is it, though? Because, like, I mean, there's, there is a difference between the way Michigan is getting investigated that literally anyone else gets investigated. No, I, I don't. I mean, I don't I don't know about that. Like. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. But what is true is that there were the era of actual penalties in college sports is over. Sure. We just had an FBI investigation that, like, the literal FBI investigated a, a bunch of programs, and nothing happened except Oklahoma State got a postseason ban. Yeah. <coughs> and and we just heard, finally, the Kansas. It took them six years to get Kansas done. And at the conclusion... Of all this, or uh, of all this, looking into Kansas, six years, based off of FBI information, Kansas just stalls, and in the end, I think they got basically the same thing that Harbaugh got for. They got three years of probation. Yeah. So, six years of many people's lives went into this, and nothing happened. So that was that was basically the last gasp of the NCAA, and 
you know, to be clear, I don't think Michigan's done anything immoral here. I think what's likely is that a very enthusiastic staffer got out over his skis, exceeded what he was allowed to do, and did it on the sly. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be some minor punishments, but really nothing about this is important. I mean, the rumblings about something big coming on is just wish casting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the most important part about all this is it's very funny. <laughs> I mean, the, because yeah, a lot of people a, are showing their asses here, right? <laughs> there's a Brendan Quinn article that likes like Michigan state. Oh my God. Play the game because of the health and safety of their players. And I was like, are you, are you kidding? They me? are. No, they are serious. <clears throat> well, it's a rule in humanity that people believe others are most capable of what they would do. So Michigan State is worried that their players are going to get harmed in the course of this game. It tells you kind of what Michigan State's approach to this game was, which is, oh, no, we're dead, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're thinking about every, not playing because we're going to be destroyed. Every, every accusation is a confession. Yeah. So there's one program that has recently endangered the health and safety of the other team, and it's not Michigan, right? Right. But uh, it is it is it has made for an entertaining uh, couple of days on Twitter. At least there's there's a there's a bright side to everything. Uh, I I mean <laughs> the negatives are first of all I don't necessarily agree with you that Michigan uh, that that I can be positive that Michigan's gonna be fine even if Tennessee is fine even if Kansas is fine because there seems to be more of a vendetta against Michigan than normal. The, yeah, the things they, that they, they investigate Michigan for, they would not investigate LSU for ever. Well, it is it is also kind of mind-boggling to be like, okay, the NCAA is going to pretend to have rules, uh-huh. and they're not going to ever enforce any of those rules, even when given rock-solid evidence right. that those rules are being violated. And then they're going to come down on Michigan with a ton of bricks like this? I don't think so. Like, it's bluster. And when push comes to shove, you know who runs things now? Yeah. TV. Yeah. And TV is not going to sit by and be like, no, they're going to be like, Michigan is going to be in the playoff if they make the playoff. Well, I, let's be perfectly clear here. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well, are you a little mad that we lost our best science dealer? Uh, well, it feels like everybody was like <laughs> onto it already. So whatever. <laughs> And marginal advantage Michigan was getting had evaporated. I like, yeah. and I, I honestly question, like, yeah, sign stealing is a thing that makes you feel cool as a coach, but I don't really know if there's a whole lot of efficacy in it. No, because if you do steal a sign, you have to communicate that to your defense, have to have a check for it, you have to hope that the sign you just stole hasn't been changed, which. I imagine before most of Michigan's games for their big games, they're going to change those signs mm-hmm. or they're going to change something up. Cause you know, Michigan state, that's their super bowl, Ohio state. That's their super bowl. Penn state, one of the two biggest games on the schedule every year, pretty much everybody has Michigan circled as a red letter game. So if you are going to break tendencies, if you are going to use your season to set up some stuff, you're going to set it up for the Michigan game. And honestly, it feels like that could be counterproductive, right. where you expect something, but the the you know it's the iocane powder <laughs> right. situation. Yeah, it, there's counterintelligence too, right? That you know, there's a, the famous uh, Mike Leach story where he left his um, play sheet on the sideline and screwed them up. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, who uh, is a commenter and uh, but played for Oregon, he said he told the story when he was at Oregon one time that it actually made a difference. Um, that Cal had their all their signals down. But he said the problem was they only had three plays. And the idea is they all worked against each other. And being able to guess which one was which was what helped Cal for like a whole quarter. And they scored like no points in that quarter. And then they just came out in the second quarter, switched up their signs, used it one time to hit them for a big gain. And then afterwards, Cal had to put it away because they knew they were onto him. So it only works a few times before the other team says, oh, okay. Now they got our signs. Let's change it up. Let's mess with them. And then once they have it, you can't keep using it, right? Yeah, it, it just feels like if Michigan is stealing signs, it, 
I just it just feels like something that you do for the same reason that you do anything because you hope you hope to get an edge. Mm-hmm. But the likelihood of that actually having a difference making impact on a game is so small. Right. Well, I like looked at these... the Rutgers game because people were blaming Shiano, and it seems like uh, Sam Webb and got um got a quote from the Rutgers people who were like. No, they vociferously deny having anything about this. The the quote that Shiano gave at halftime of the Michigan game, or right at the end of the, the first half of the Michigan game, where he said, like, there's something going on out there that's not right, he was talking about the refs. So that the, Rutgers has really nothing to do with it. I don't think anyone from this season really has, unless, you know, someone jumped in for no reason. But I looked all the offenses we faced this year, and this probably works best on defense versus offense, right? All the offenses we faced this year, sign-stealing wouldn't do anything. UNLV runs the same play. They just have eight different ways of running it, right? Minnesota has the same two plays. Yeah, and there's a pattern early in these games where the opponent finds something that Michigan is not defending well, mm-hmm. and they they run it a couple of times, and, and it does well for them, and then the Michigan adjusts, and they don't have anything else. That doesn't seem like a sign-stealing situation to me it just doesn't feel like michigan is playing like that yeah yeah i mean like you take the will johnson's interception against Minnes- uh against minnesota right where that the thing that worked for Rutgers was just throwing that underneath thing and then michigan changes their coverage because that's what you do to stop people from just giving up nine yard getting nine yards every single time they want to and they change up their coverage in a very specific obvious way now you know did they know that that play was coming at that moment who knows right like that might have been a moment where it could have helped but probably not like Michigan does that change all the time and they've done it the week before so like it's just it's what you do with your coverage every once in a while and Minnesota was attacking that look so I the game is not played with I think fans and maybe the TV and the, the way that um, announcers talk about the game has convinced fans that the game is a lot more about my play call versus your play call, and really that's not how the game is played. I mean, it is to some extent, right? Like yeah. we have our RPS numbers and whatnot, and game planning makes an impact. But also, like you know, teams come into these games and they're moving targets. Yeah, like Mich- Michigan is putting new run plays on film every every game. And if you think you've stolen a sign for duo and you get wine back, like what are, what are you doing there? Right, right, like, <laughs> right. I mean, to me, this is one of the more overblown things in college football investigation history. And of course, Michigan is on all of these, like Stretchgate. Yeah, where what was it like? They they were playing with a taped towel. Or something. Right. Yeah, a tape towel is a football, which you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to simulate a football in your practices. And, like, just petty stuff. And this seems like more petty stuff to me. But we're going to take a break, come back, and talk about the upcoming football game that may or may not get played. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota. 
or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. Hey folks, Tom Brady and the team at Autograph have just announced the release of a game-changing new app that recognizes Michigan fans for their acts of fandom. The Autograph app gives you access to all your favorite Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Top Fans Rewarded and download it for free today. Use the referral code MGOBLOG. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 734- 945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. You got my love, baby, believe me. It's all I want to do. Oh, even if it breaks. I'm going to love you. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.7. We now turn our attention to the Michigan State Spartans this weekend's opponent. Uh, we'll start off with the offense, which has been, um, I guess not abject, but very prone to vast disasters. <laughs> so they tend to move the ball, and as soon as I think, wow, this quarterback is doing better than he should be doing, he throws a crippling interception or attempts to, in Kattenhauser's case, last weekend. Uh, but... Like, they just don't have any dudes. Like, historically, you know, Michigan State, when they're able to play a game against Michigan and win, there's two or three guys who are NFL day one, day two picks. Mm -hmm. And the day one pick on this team is now playing at Florida State. And their portal attempts uh, brought in their starting running back, who's okay, but he's not Kenneth Walker in any way, shape, or form. They're starting kicker, who's solid, and then nothing else. So this is basically last year's team, minus the only part of it that picked up yards against Michigan. Yep, and uh, I guess we can start with Hauser because he's the big talk of the week. Uh, Got his first career start against Rutgers, and we didn't get to see a ton of him in that game. Like It was all very, very... Uh, vanilla in terms of the play calling, and there's a, probably a pretty good reason for that. They threw a lot of short stuff. They didn't make him have to read a defense much downfield, and we saw one opportunity for him to do so where he got a free play because Rutgers jumped off sides, and he threw a horrendous interception where he had no idea about safety help over the top, and that gives you a good sense of why he's not throwing down the field. Yeah, and so coming out of the spring game, you know, Matt Charbonneau, who's a beat writer for Michigan state at the time he's since moved on was like, Hauser was clearly the worst of the three guys. Yeah, he was. And it just doesn't seem like if you're going with Noah Kim halfway through the season and you're flipping to this guy so that he provides you a spark, that's probably 
just desperation at that point. Like it's one thing if it's Jeff Sims who's tanking your team by turning the ball over 35 times a game. But I mean that that's why they did it, right? It's I mean, I thing. guess that's true. They Noah Kim turned the ball over 35 times per game and so they switched to Hauser and are just trying to have him get by by not doing anything uh, particularly down the field in any way. Another thing with him, just to put on the record, he's had a weird problem with accuracy on screens this season. He threw an interception against Maryland where he was trying to throw a screen and it went way over the guy's head and to a defender. And then against Rutgers, same story. There's one pass I clipped where, again, he's trying to throw like a two-yard pass and it goes way over the guy's head and out of bounds. So I don't really know why that's an accuracy issue, but that's something to watch out for. Otherwise, they just had him throw four or five-yard routes, and it reminded me some of that Brandon Peters against Rutgers game. Like, we we are, this quarterback is not ready, but we got to play him, and so we're keeping it very, very safe. And that's kind of the storyline with him. Yeah, and then you get to their wide receiver core, and Trey, <laughs> Trey Mosley's been around forever and has always just been a guy. Montori Foster's pretty much the same way, and Malik Carr is a reasonably good tight end, but he doesn't really threaten you vertically. He's an underneath option as well. So their explosives rate is very, very low, and it seems hard for me to find where those explosives are coming from in this game. Yeah, certainly not through the air. That's why I think the big story of this game is just the rushing game, because if you make Michigan State with this quarterback situation play in second and eight, third and nine, I got nothing like in that situation. They're just done. They don't have the horses at any of the positions necessary to get dig out of that conundrum. Now, if you are an MSU fan looking for reasons for hope, I do think that in the long term sense, this offensive line uh, was a, a decent indicator of the future. If you have a good coach can come in and, and build on this because you had a lot of years of just awful on the offensive well, line. It's, it's and, and the same guys, year, Alex. Like This year, they've been better. Um, they have been, but like I don't know if they can work in the future because, you know, same act can do playing. They've been around. This is like their fifth year. Yeah, those are the older together. guys, but they have some yeah. younger guys on the line. Their tackles are on the younger side, and their yards per carry clips this season against Rutgers and Iowa, which are ostensibly good defenses, have been all right. I mean, they had a few drives against Rutgers where they just paved Rutgers down the, the field which is not something I'd ever seen in the past. So mm -hmm. maybe in the long term, they can they can build on that. I don't really anticipate them doing anything, especially against Michigan's first string tackles, which is why I'd like to see the DT rotation halt a little bit just to set the tone early on. But that's something that has worked for them all right this, this season, and that's when, when they've been able to move the ball. It's really been through the running game. I mean, I remember watching that Iowa game and thinking, man, Iowa's getting pushed around by these guys. Mm -hmm. And the first few drives against Rutgers was the same story. Rutgers tightened it up later. But that's, that's been what's been working the most for their offense. And they run stretch, which is what Minnesota was getting us with. So Michigan's yeah, going to have to have worked on their stretch defense. But Minnesota was getting that to work because they're the RPO team. Right. And, and because like, they I'm were not... stretching the line. They were using like double motions. But Michigan's linebackers weren't really getting into the box against mm -hmm. those. So you got double teams for the whole play on a stretch, and that's just not going to work for you as a defense. I don't think we've seen – we certainly haven't seen Katten Hauser throw a lot of RPOs. Seems like that's a lot to put on his plate if he's not ready in other ways. So it kind of feels like – Michigan should be aware of that ability to run stretch and be better positioned to, to contain it. Yeah. I mean, cause with the exception of that little period against Minnesota, nobody's been able to do anything against this defense on the ground all year. Yeah. I mean, Ken Hauser, the interesting that the, we, the way I know him is I remember scouting Jaden Denigal and the two of our book, the like, they were the two quarterbacks from California who were kind of going against each other in, in all of their camps. And so the, they just got compared to each other all the time. And the, the gist was that Denigal was the thrower and Hauser was the passer. So Denigal has the, is the arm and the, the upside and Hauser was the guy that like you could put in right now. So he's maybe a little further along than like the, the common redshirt freshman, but the fact that they started Noah Kim and you saw what Noah Kim was tells you 
you know, even Rutgers game aside, because I think Rutgers has a good pass defense, that Hauser's probably not going to be standing in, picking you apart, really having a command of the offense at this point, even if he might be, you know, useful later on in his career. Well, I mean, I do feel that there's some potential for them to move the ball with the dink and dunk passing game, especially early. Mm-hmm. because Michigan has been prone to covering grass. They've been dropping out defensive ends that don't end up in the right lanes a lot of the time. There's holes in that underneath area. So, you know, I can see a first down pass for six yards leading to a first down, leading to first down pass for seven yards, and just kind of matriculating gradually down the field until they're messed up and they get a couple of field goals early. Like, in terms of, like, how does Michigan State – move the ball. I think that's it, but they're not in a place where they have any consistency. They're not in a place where they can go on a 12 play touchdown drive mm-hmm. and they don't have much chance for explosives unless Michigan makes some mistakes, which they have done in the secondary. So it kind of feels like other than a trick play, which I'm sure we're going to see a couple of the main thing that Michigan needs to watch out for is themselves. I'll give the MSU wide receivers credit on one thing. They were pretty good against Rutgers at selling a DPI. Like they, they got yes. a few of those in that game. <laughs> like they're, they're quite good at that. So that is something that uh, to watch out for. The other thing is they're going to run Hauser five to seven times in, in this game. They did against Rutgers, mostly QB draws, but they had him pull the ball a few times, things like that, especially when the passing game isn't really functional. Expect that to be mixed in. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they will. They're playing for some sort of meaning for their season, so I think they'll come out and they'll they'll actually do pretty decently in the first quarter before reality sets in. Yeah, I you know Nate Carter is a we I know that every week we seem to like the running back, but you know this is a guy when we were scouting him for UConn, we were like, you know that's, I mean, that guy's a running back, like he's he's, he's fine, yeah. Um, like he's 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 good. Yeah, he's, yeah, player. he's good. Back. He's fine. Yeah, okay. Where would he? I you watched them recently, Alex? Where would he be on Michigan's depth chart right now? Oh, uh, I don't know. Somewhere <laughs> among the reserves. <laughs> I well, I, fifth. I'm saying Stokes. fifth. I put him a, maybe ahead of Stokes. Like that's where. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. I. The other thing is. You gave me a lot of science. Now, people who don't pay attention to the chart, that's the, the guys who... We're not saying they suck. They're problem spots. But they suck. Um, and you gave me a lot of them for the backups. Like, I don't remember yeah, seeing... Yeah, the... I mean, they, both of their backup tight ends are blocking tight ends who can't block at all, which is something they've had for years now. Um, the backup offensive linemen were like a clear cut below the starting offensive linemen. So it's a little bit thin from a depth standpoint. And I guess that's something to watch out for. One uh, final thought on the Michigan State offense. Katten Hauser currently ranks 185th amongst 187 D1 quarterbacks in pro football folks grade, focus grading with 40 attempts on the season. Yeah, that's not great. I mean, <laughs> I think we should put on the record before we close this up the turnover thing because it's not just Noah Kim against Rutgers. The wide receivers fumbled twice. This is a long ongoing thing and it has just killed their team. Just killed them over and over again. They had five against Maryland. They had four against Iowa, I believe. They had three against Rutgers plus the onside kick debacle. It's just the story of their season. And it's not just the quarterback, it's everybody. And just back-breaking mistakes that really threw away opportunities to win games they were leading in or, or you know, in a, in a chance to win the game. So it'll probably pop up at some point. Yeah, I mean, they did move the ball against Maryland. They didn't really move. I mean, they had 250 yards against Rutgers. So it's like Rutgers has a decent defense. I mean, you want this Michigan state team to like come in here and like put up 150 yards offense, but that's probably not what's going to happen. Like they're probably going to get to 250. They're probably going to get close to 300 because over the course of the season, they have been able to move the ball somewhat decently. Their offensive line is probably the best Michigan has faced to date. Like they're not just going to get overwhelmed. Like they're bowling green, but yeah, I think people read way too much into that Washington game, which that was the week that, 
the Tucker situation happened, and it's just incongruent with their other results. So you, you can't go in expecting it'll be 700 to 100 yards of offense. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, talk about the Michigan State defense. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life is taking you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or app application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, the video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OG. Original geeks of programmable communication. All of my place is now left with a trace of you Who knows what time is gonna do All I know is a simple truth I like watching the days go by Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.7. We now turn our attention to the Michigan State defense. Like the Michigan State offense, uh, they have a trouble spot that has recovered somewhat to be a decent unit in their secondary, and they have a near total lack of dudes. You might be able to argue that one or other of their defensive tackles is a dude. They were hoping that they might get one of these edges that transferred in who would really pop, but that hasn't happened. And the state defense got absolutely eviscerated by Washington 700 yards seated. I think that was the most in program history, but they've hung in, I guess, against the rest of their opponents. One of those was Iowa, so that doesn't really count. They gave up 300-ish <laughs> yards to Rutgers, and they gave up 350-ish to Maryland. Maryland's a pretty decent team. You know, the kind of thing that stuck out to me in the Rutgers game is if you look at the top-line stats, it's like Rutgers only rushed for 3.1 yards per carry, but that was because Gavin Wimsett got sacked three times and then had three or four more rushes where he didn't do anything. Kyle Manungai popped him for 6.2. Well, and, especially late in the game. Yes. They, the mm-hmm. final drive, they just quit. 
Like, <laughs> I don't know what happened with the the it. That was embarrassing compared to the, that was, of the game. That was 12 plays and 32 yards. Like Kyle Manungai's damage happened before that drive. That was just, you know, salting the game away. So, you know, I kind of feel like you expect these sort of nouveau Michigan State teams under Tucker to have an absolutely dismal secondary but be able to defend the run. And I think it's a lot more balanced this year. Like I think they're not the worst secondary in football anymore, but also – that front seven is not what you had come to expect. Yeah, I think that's fair. We can start with that secondary real quick because, again, give them the positive stuff. I think the cornerbacks down the road could be a nice little tandem for them. They, the first few years of Mel Tucker, we've been going between these just terrible SEC washouts. Like Each of the last few years, we go in and we say, who are the corners for MSU? It's like, well, these are guys that were once – Blue chip recruits. They went to Georgia. They went to Florida, and they said these guys suck. And now we got them, and we're really excited because they're former high end recruits. But turns out that when Georgia didn't have a use for this player, it was because they weren't good. And so after two, three years of your Chester Kimbros and Amir Speeds and these guys that are just terrible, they have some homegrown corners. They're young. They're still developing. They're not really ready to be shut down guys. But if they can keep them in the program, Chance Rucker and Dylan Tatum have been okay this season, and we'll see what a new coach can do with them. But that's that's nice, and that's what's allowed their past defense to be better than it had been in the past. But at the same time, you look at the defensive line, and again, no real impact players. Simeon Barrow, decent guy, but on the lower end of what we consider star caliber. And then outside of that, the edges are giving them very little. And as a whole, this group is getting very little organic pass rush. I charted the Maryland game. It was non-existent. Now they blitz a lot. I think I had him about 35% of the time. So that's something to watch out for. But when they rushed four, they were doing nothing to uh, make Talia Tagovailoa's life harder in, in any real way. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of depth on this side of the ball either. And they're still running out Cal Halliday as their middle linebacker. And Halliday is just, they call him old school because he doesn't wear gloves, but he's also old school because he can't run. Mm-hmm. So he is uh, sort of a defiantly boxy player. That's not really a word, which could be good against Michigan because they're going to run out three tight ends on a lot of snaps. But you look at that matchup he had with Donovan Edwards last year. And it kind of feels like if Michigan wants that, they can have it whenever they want. I kind of expect him to be used more as a blitzer personally in this game. Like that was what he was used a lot as against Maryland. Um, There are other linebackers, uh, Jordan Hall, who is a true freshman. So that comes with its lumps, but he's uh, been okay fighting in there, ups and downs, but he's athletic. Yeah. He got pretty good. Beat up by Manangai, though. When you talk about like who Manangai, he has a seventy-seven PFF grade. I think he was their (laughs) highest graded player on PFF. Oh my god! He looked. I know he looked bad out there. I I do want to point out Cal Halliday is now playing weak side linebacker because Jacoby Winman's out, and Winman's the guy that got absolutely abused by uh, by Edwards last year. He's out for the season. He was a weak side linebacker, so they moved Cal Halliday to, like, they have a weak side and strong side inside linebacker. That's kind of their designations. And they got this guy, Aaron Brule, who was a Mississippi State transfer, um, who I think has been college football for six or seven years. But he's, like, sometimes he's the Sam, sometimes he's a hybrid space player, and sometimes he's just an inside linebacker. Yeah, that's well, the, I mean, the collection there. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, otherwise... The one thing to point out too on the on the defensive line, the edges, they've they have Zion Young at one edge. We saw him last year as a true freshman. He's a year older. He's showing a little bit more in run defense, but no real pass rushing. And then that other edge spot, they've rotated four or five guys, uh, including the A and M transfer that they were all excited about, who's been injured and very disappointing. And they just haven't found a lot of consistency at that other edge spot. Uh, yeah, and and to hammer the point home about the general composition of this defense is that the top guy on their defense, according to pro football focus, who's had at least a hundred snaps gets a 72. So they're mid that. Yeah. They're it's, it's a very mid defense. What they don't have is they don't have like a huge blinking hole. Mm -hmm. Like 
most of the guys who have played a significant amount are okay. The actual <laughs> exception is the touted A&M transfer to Misi Adelaide, uh, <laughs> who is a horrible football player. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think nothing. I think I put in the piece that the top nine players used in snaps this season are all between 59 and 69, something like that, maybe 70. It is just a mosaic of all guys that are in that range that we would call like mediocre that PFF yeah. reserves that term for. And it's remarkable because it's uh, the previous teams on the schedule. They had one unit that was like really bad or, or areas that were interesting to talk about. And this defense, even their offense, nothing interesting to talk about. No one is good. No one is bad. <laughs> They're just there. They don't, there's no impact players. There's nobody that will be in the NFL in the near future. It's just, I, I got exist. a, I got a couple of things that I'm interested about this defense. One, since Harlan Barnett's become the head coach, he was originally the guy who was like the no fly zone guy who installed the quarters for D'Antonio, right? That was his defense. And I think I've seen them being, running a lot more straight-up quarters. And, like, you can run quarters as a – Michigan runs quarters, too. Like, everyone runs it as, like, a, a change-up. But I, against Rutgers specifically, I saw them running it more as a base um, where they had all the checks down. So I'm wondering if they're transitioning to a new style of defense um, and I'm wondering um, if yeah. one of the reasons for that is the talent of their safeties is a little bit weak. Can't base out of quarters in 2023. Well, you can That's play not it deep. <laughs> you can play it soft. I mean, the question. Yeah, I mean, you could. Like, yeah, where are you gonna put your safeties right. Yeah, um, yeah. Ra- Raj, Raj would kill me if I didn't make a mention that Jaden Mangum is on this team who went to Wiley E. Groves. So we finally have an FBS starter coming for our silly little high school. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, special teams. Uh, <laughs> The Michigan State special teams have endured three complete disasters this season. One was the Cooper Dijon touchdown punt return against Iowa, which was far too easy. That guy didn't meet uh, Gunner until he was 15 yards into his return. And then the the last two came against Rutgers last week. There was, of course, the trouble with the snap issue uh, with the punter and then the kickoff issue. I'm going to say something dumb here. Outside of those huge disasters, they've been very good. Uh, <laughs> so, for some reason, they're alternating punters. I don't know. As don't ask them. But outside of the Cooper Dijon return, they've given up one punt return yard all season. They're getting a bare majority of their kickoffs into the end zone. Their kicker, who transferred in, I think from North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, is seven to nine on the season, and he has a fifty-eight yarder to his credit. So unless Michigan State completely blows the game on special teams, they will be good on special teams. (laughs) I have to say that one of those two misses is extremely funny. I got to see it again in the charting the Maryland game. It was the one where he kicked it off the back of the head of his offensive lineman. (laughs) (laughs) One of the funnier misses of all time because it goes off the back of the guy's head and straight up in the air and then lands at like the 15 yard line. It, it, that was a very funny play. Yeah. We've had, we've had a two of extremely funny field goals this year. The other one, I think it was USC against Colorado mm-hmm. where the, the snap was bad and then the guy stopped and then he like did a little oh, kick. That was against yeah. Arizona. It was Arizona. Yeah. yeah. It was Arizona. He did a little tiny kick. Yes. Yeah, so we've had some <laughs> funny field goals this year, people. All right. We're going to take a break, come back and take one last look back at Indiana. Hey fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. 
or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. Hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy. Uh, he's a uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, "Yeah, your coverage sucks, and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it." I also like I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, and I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? <laughs> they have a website. They have one of those too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together and you will save money on your insurance and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto and they do life too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Radio 9.7. We'd like to thank May Earlywine for the uh, music on the podcast. And now we turn the Indiana game. I have nothing to say, Seth. Uh, I literally, when I was doing the write-up for the podcast here, I just copied and pasted from last week's and put that in there. So, I mean, it, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. Uh, uh. All right. I do have a few things. To say. Okay. <laughs> One is that Ben Hall is good. Ha! Is, is this not a problem for us? Like, uh, what did all right? So, what did he grade for you? I, I I want the final score. He was plus five and a half on like nine carries. Okay, we're good. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about this on the, the Sunday podcast, but you know, the guy's got start stop. He's got it. The capital I it. You just, you just look at him and you're like, this is an instinctive running back who happens to be pretty fast in two thirty five. So, I'm all in on Ben Hall in stuff that didn't come up on the Sunday podcast. Michigan got weird <laughs> in the ground game. So you talked about the windback stuff mm-hmm. on and next Sharpies. We'll let that stand, but they were running this play that I don't understand. <laughs> okay. I named it like four different things. It's a power. All right. So, but on power, you have a double team at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. This does not have a double team at the point of attack. It's a one-on-one block between the play side tackle and whatever is there, usually an end. And then there's a double team further inside. And they ran this three times. All three of them should have been successful, except on the first one, which was poor Donovan Edwards. Both guys on the double team left the defensive tackle. But um, it looked like a hybrid between duo and power. Okay. It looked like there were two options. 
And one was if the linebacker thought it was power and flipped outside, you cut back to where the double team is and you get some yards. And if the linebacker thinks it's duo and tries to shoot the gap, you go outside and then it's just a power run. It's weird. I've never seen Michigan run it before. That sounds like um, Vince Lombardi's got like an old like here's uh, he's got like a YouTube out there where it's like, you know, here was the Packers base play. And like we ran this for a decade. and No one could defeat it. It sounds a lot like what you're talking about there, which is basically power on the inside. And then, he he, you know, he called it zone because that's what zone was for them was duo. Okay, that's that's very, very weird. But weeds. Um, But I'm just bringing it up to point out that Michigan keeps adding stuff to what they're doing. Stuff that I haven't seen before, stuff that I have seen before, but not in a long time. They ran a crack sweep very successfully in this game. They're running all sorts of power. They're running duo from every formation you can possibly run duo from. They're, I still believe that they're running belly pretty consistently. All of this really fits together and makes the, the ground game very hard to stop. And then you go and you look at the yards per carry and you're like, well, what's what's going on here? Because this game did not have a great yards per carry, but my run game grading came out well. Mm-hmm. And we did not get a great game from the running backs, which is beginning to be a concern. Because Donovan Edwards didn't get any minuses except on the near touchdown he had, but didn't have any positives either for the most part. And Blake Corum had one minus two for a bad cut. And then you know there's this duo run where it's all jammed up inside and there's no edge. And you got to bounce that, and he doesn't bounce it. So I think if Michigan had 2022 Blake Corum, this run game looks exactly as good as it did last year. But he is not giving you those two or three plays a game where he's turning six yards into 40. And seven games in, he's had a lot of at-bats. His yards per carry is basically exactly where it was last year. But I feel that that's more on the blocking than it is on Corum. Because last year, Corum would be coming in for plus eight, plus nine, very consistently. Mm-hmm. And this year, it's like, you know, plus three, plus four. It's okay. But running back is a make-play spot like defensive line and UFR. And in both our grading and pro football focuses grading, he is a big step back from what he was last year. He's still very good. Right. But Blake Corum last year was the highest-graded pro football focus player of all time. And, so I mean, is there an explanation for it, or we're just that we're just seeing the film and saying, okay, this is what this is right now. I mean, I I do think that the injury and the layoff has has a lot to do with it, and I also think it's just partially randomness, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, when you have a career year, you got lucky to some extent, you know, right? And you, it's just hard for anyone to maintain the level of production Blake Corm had last year, but. I came I came out of this this game and I was looking at my run block grading and I was like ah, this doesn't really fit the stats and so whenever that happens it's something we need to talk about and so we have completed talking about it. JJ McCarthy still good. I don't know what else to say. You had a <laughs> downfield success rating for him of ninety four percent, which is I think the third time this season he cracked ninety four. Well, yeah, and. There were a couple incidents that you could have gone the other way on. Like if you wanted to call the throw behind Cornelius Johnson, that was dangerous, a bad read. Mm-hmm. I get you. In our charting, if it's a success, it's a success. So with some very limited exceptions. So I marked that as a, as a catchable ball. I charged the, the goal line fade that didn't get connected to Cornelius Johnson. And then... Uh, I made the incompletion to Wilson a marginal ball, which doesn't get counted in downfield success rate. It's just kind of a push. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could argue that's an inaccurate ball. To me, that linebacker isn't looking. Uh, it's very catchable. And I think a significant portion of the time that PBU doesn't happen and you get a completion downfield. So to me, yeah, those were yeah. the controversial sections. But everything else was completely on point. He had three pluses uh, where he turned a pressure event into something positive and graded out extremely well. He did blow one very obvious keep read. Yeah, we all <laughs> um, saw it. <laughs> but I mean, the the uh, fan base is now you know triggered every time that happens, even if it only happens once a game. But to offset that, he had a really good gray area read at the beginning of the third quarter 
which is always very important when you've got a guy who's technically squared up on you, but is leaning to the back is you got to test that every once in a while. He got outside for 11 yards. You know, he had 50 yards rushing in this game. Yeah. And uh, scrambles were a big chunk of that. But like, if you can have JJ McCarthy do what he's doing in the air and then also chip in for half a hundred hundred on the ground, like out of this world. So, I mean, get out, get out. Yeah. Like, well, and Aaron Casey crazy. got him down too. Where, you know, I think that guy's a dude. And I think that yes. JJ was a little surprised that that guy caught him. Yeah, and, and the quorum minus two was Casey blowing up a pin and pull mm-hmm. in a way that I think quorum just didn't expect an Indiana defender to be able to do. So, yeah, he's he's a dude. He's the best linebacker I've seen on opposition teams this year. I think he probably is going to have a case for all Big Ten Um as long as this performance is his baseline and not, you know, him playing out of his head. Um, what did you see on the defensive side of the ball? Well, finally, we've met a team that decided they do not want anything from Chris Jenkins. They just didn't want any of it. They stayed the, every single time he's out there, they either run away from him and they try to pass it. You know, there's still a lot of Walt Bell in the offense, so they threw a lot of wide receiver screens and stuff off of wide receiver screens. Uh, you know, this is their first day running their new defense or their new offense. So it was much more vanilla stuff than I'm used to when I do an Indiana game. And um, we got to have different people showing up. So Cam Good had a surprisingly really good game. Uh, He, you know, caused some pressure events. He was getting through the, um, the one play everyone remembers where Keyshawn Harris just gets beat on a double move and it's going to end up a long completion. Like that should not, that, that ball would not have gotten off if Cam Good doesn't win his block to such a degree, the center has to just Chris Carpenter, our former uh, our former player. Uh, Carpenter doesn't have to grab his face mask and yank him backwards, right? Uh, and and that was getting pretty consistent from him. Now Indiana's offensive line's not that great, but you know, seeing that happen, seeing um, further progression from the defensive ends, like Derek Moore uh, had an instant when he, when he was in coverage. That's still a thing. Both. He and Jalen Harrell uh, had coverage problems where they just kind of got out to the flat way too quickly on their curl flat zones. and But Derek Moore also had a couple plays where the ball's going away from him. You usually see that end on the backside just kind of hang back there or try to get involved. And he really shoves himself inside and gets in, and gets in on the play and actually stops something that could have gotten some yards. On the downside, oh, and last on the upside, Michael Barrett, man. Um He's just been playing consistently well. And then when you add his blitzing back again, and this is something we saw last year, and then they kind of had to put it away because he's their best linebacker. So I think they want to leave him at linebacker. But this game he got to blitz four times, um, and or sorry, but blitz five times and paid it off four times. And he's just a problem. You, know, you, you cannot block him with a running back. He's going to confuse linemen. He gets upfield so quickly, and that's that Viper acceleration, right? The... Don Brown recruited him specifically because he can start, stop, and and go really quickly. And that really helps you when you're a late blitzer and you can just cover that amount of space really quickly because a quarterback doesn't have time to get rid of it. Yeah, uh, the uh, sack strip was extremely impressive. I mean, he was able to get through half a guy even when he did get a blocker. And, yeah, he was, I think, the number two known friend and trusted agent this week. So Mm -hmm. I uh, – do you – do you have any like Rod Moore, Will Johnson feelings? Well, I, Will Johnson, they just stayed away from. The only two things that Will Johnson got to do in this game was take a wide receiver and throw him into the running back or the running or you know the 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 slot is basically their running back. Um, so I did not get to see him in coverage except for the fact that they're not throwing anywhere near him. Um, Rod Moore, we I got a little assistance from uh, Alejandro Zuniga who. It was the 247 writer and a friend of our site because he asked uh, about that play, about the interception, the one where Samer still tips it and Rod Moore intercepts it. Rod Moore stepped the completely wrong way. They were running a weird coverage where Moore is actually supposed to get out over the, um, in, in, over the corner. He doesn't, and... Uh, Sainer still reads it. He's the, the it's the right play call for what they're doing because Indiana likes to go short anyway. They usually don't look for that corner throw. Um, and Moore tips it. Or sorry, Sainer still tips it. And Moore's in the right spot because he was in the wrong spot, 
and gets an interception out of it, which I guess is the best way to learn your lesson. Um, but, you know, other than that, I, I was encouraged by the, and we talked about this on the last podcast, the play where it's a third and three, they're tipping that they're going to give you that tight end underneath, right? And then right yeah. before the snap, Moore walks down, and he almost times it. I got down to like the, you know, the, he's like one frame off from breaking that up. And, I, and, you know, they get some yak on it because he's trying to break up the pass, not trying to tackle. That was the point. And if he's like one frame off on that, that means the next time he goes out to do it, he's going to be better. I didn't know about the screw up when I had gotten when I charted that at the first point. So I, um, I, I, there might be a couple, little bit more rust, but I mean, he is almost there. He's, I, I'm very encouraged by the fact that he's trying that because that's the kind of thing that a star does to get you off the field. Well, also like that was what the play was set up to do. Yeah, like the goal of that play is to bait the throw to the tight end and. Rod Moore is supposed to, you know, they're <clears throat> the play call is we think Rod Moore can get this done. Right. And so if he's if he's a frame away, but it's still Rod Moore can get this done, it does feel like he's pretty close to being all the way back. And similarly, if Will Johnson is no longer on screen chasing guys who he's supposed to be covering, but not on screen right. at all. Right. It kind of feels like our early secondary uh questions are resolving themselves in in the way that you'd want them to be resolved. Yeah. Um there's uh there are a couple weird things that I saw and this this we get too much in the weeds but uh Keon Sab had a couple switches that I thought were uh pretty impressive. And I it's it's impressive that they're even trying that with a true sophomore cuz like last year they were not switching guys. But Indiana has this, you know, they they baited it, they set it up, and then they try this rub route to, and it's all supposed to, you know, get sab. And he adjusts, he gets on this guy. There's maybe like a half a second window, and then it's closed. And then um, I think he ends up having to bail and trying to. He doesn't get a sack, but he gets down at the one yard line after one yard. So sab's coming along. I know he had the big, you know, screw up, but that's that's that was the one touchdown. That's I mean, it's a trick play. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I did enjoy Michael Barrett like pointing. Yeah. Like Michael Barrett knew exactly what was happening. He was <laughs> right. like, "Oh, yes, that guy, that guy." Yeah. Guy. yeah. So that that's your captain for you guys. Yep. All right. All right. See you guys. Uh, don't look at anybody's football games in person this week, Seth. <laughs> I have my network. by demons in his head and they said bring me ruski vodka or your son may soon be dead so he went to the arena looking for a leaner way swore he